Welcome to Pragmatic Live, a podcast that helps product teams define, build, market, launch, and of course, price innovative products. I'm Mark Stiving, a pragmatic marketing instructor and self-proclaimed pricing expert. Joining us today is Hanan Greenberg. Hanan is VP and General Manager of the High Tech Business and Model N. Besides having an amazing voice, which you'll hear in a second, he's extremely smart and he rose quickly to the uppermost ranks within Model N. We first met back when I was responsible for driving the selection and implementation of Model N into Maxim. Hanan, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Mark. It's uh, really exciting to be here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And there's that voice. So, Hanan, we have to start by helping our listeners understand what Model N is or does. I have a PhD in pricing, and when I first heard of revenue management systems, I was lost. Let's see if we can make this understandable to our listeners. Model N is a software company, um, 17 years old and based in uh, Silicon Valley. And uh, we focus on delivering revenue management solutions uh, for life sciences and high-tech manufacturers. Revenue management is a term which, um, as you pointed out, Mark, uh, sometimes people confuse with a finance function. And our intent and what we mean by revenue management is all the processes that impact the top line of the revenue income statement. Uh, If you look at the history of enterprise solutions that have been delivered to the industry over the years, companies have automated various lines of their income statements. They have automated sales uh, with CRM. It wasn't called CRM back in the 90s. It was different disconnected processes of customer service and Salesforce automation and marketing and other aspects. And over time, it became an end-to-end process called CRM, which has then technically transitioned over to the cloud. Uh, People have done the same thing with ERP, with supply chain, with HR. We've seen the same story over and over again. Different disconnected processes that have unified into one continuum. And it is interesting to note that it has been done all on the cost side of the income statement. But when you look at the top line of the income statement, the revenue line, that is still the last bastion of Excel spreadsheets, where you have a lot of disconnected processes, pricing being one of them, as well as deal negotiations and uh, post-deal reconciliation of incentive payouts and many other related processes, all of whom impact what the gross revenue and net revenue is, and yet they're all handled in disconnected processes, disconnected tools, manual processes, emails, Excel spreadsheets, and that is what Model N is essentially changing, is bringing that end-to-end process that touches on all those points. So hopefully that clarifies a bit about the uh, mystique of the term revenue management. Oh, that was a fabulous answer. I wish someone would have given me that answer several years ago. <laughs> Let's dive in just a little bit deeper because you as Model N, you've broken up into two key sides. There's the high-tech side and the medical side. And why do you have two divisions? Why is it different? That's another great question. Um, when you look at processes from 100,000 feet, they look the same. If I'll, I'll give you uh, two examples which you're probably familiar with. In the, in the world of high-tech and semiconductors specifically, when a distributor is selling at a price that is lower than what he bought the inventory for, uh, he needs to be made whole. And the same thing happens in life sciences 
where the wholesaler might be sitting on inventory at a certain price but is compelled to sell it to an end customer at a lower price and again wants to be made whole. At the high level, that sounds the same. However, as you start going down into the details, starting with terminology and all the way down into the actual process itself, things get very different. In life sciences, there is a chargeback process. Uh, in high tech, it's the ship and debit process with a credit claim that comes at the end. How these processes are named and the actual steps in those processes, um, the validations that go against these processes are fundamentally different. And that is actually one of the unique aspects of all those elements that fall under that revenue management umbrella. Whether it's pricing, whether it's rebates, whether it's quoting process, as you go down one level below, you start finding huge differences between the verticals. And it's therefore really important to build vertical-specific functionality that helps address the unique needs of the customers. Otherwise, you're really going down the old path, which is you're taking a generic solution and then you spend millions customizing it and you end up stuck with a legacy system that you can't upgrade for years and years and years. And that's what we wanted to avoid. We wanted to create something which was specific to the needs of those industries. And we thought it was unavoidable to create those vertical pillars to support those needs. I actually understand that relatively well because I used to work in the semiconductor industry. And recently I've been talking with one of my fellow instructors and he did pricing and medical for a while. And we were talking about the similarities of the two. And, and, I, and I thought your answer was really spot on there. Do you guys ever do anything for, let me call it generic distribution? Is there such a thing? Actually, it's an interesting question that you uh, bring up here, and, and the answer is yes, and I, I'll answer that in more detail in one second. If I may, I'd like to actually backtrack to one thing, because you mentioned your friend in the medical space and who did pricing there, and the dynamic of uh, price negotiations in, let's say, the pharmaceutical space is completely different, because you have this whole entity that is called the, the payer, the insurance company, the payers who get involved in that process and get to dictate to the end customer that might be a hospital what will be covered and what will not be covered in insurance. And that whole process is completely different than what you'd see in pricing in high tech. So I just thought it was another area of distinction and explains why these things are so different. Going back to your, um, to your uh, question on uh, generic distribution. So there are actually two aspects that we do that go uh, truly across uh, almost any vertical. One is the actual channel data management itself. And that is uh, the context of collecting data and uh, doing it on a timely basis, getting it into the right format, correcting it, cleansing it, enriching it with data that wasn't there in the first place through a directory that is maintained over time, uh, and then delivering it back, both to the channel and to the uh, and to the manufacturer. That is one thing the Model N uh, does today and excels at doing that uh, through an acquisition we did last year, a company called Channel Insight, which is based out in Denver. We now call that Model N Channel Data Management. Before you move on, let me ask, what kind of data are you talking about? I just want to understand this in my head. Can we look mostly at point-of-sale data and inventory data. So we, we today collect... Uh, both POS and inventory from over 8,000 unique channels in uh, literally hundreds of thousands of locations around the world on a weekly basis. We uh, run it through a, a whole set of algorithms to do a lot of the cleansing and correcting that we can do through machine automation. We normally have to invest some resources to do the last you know, mile or two miles of 
manual cleansing that the machine couldn't capture. And we then also validate and enrich it against a, a directory that we maintain of over 30 million um, validated end customers. And we enrich that data with information that wasn't even submitted by the channel before it goes back to the manufacturer. So we have customers in a very broad range whether it's in, uh, in uh, consumer electronics or medical devices or semiconductor and components, we go across multiple verticals with that solution uh, because the processes are pretty much the same there. Another interesting angle on, on the, um, on the uh, channel, and it goes both ways, is the aspect of rebates. Uh, at the end of the day, a rebate is some form of calculation against an attainment of a goal, whether that goal was a value goal or a volume goal or a uh, quarter over quarter growth goal, and there's many, many others that you can define. Uh, uh, pricing people and marketing people can be very creative in how they define their rebate programs and their goals. And defining uh, for the manufacturer based on performance what should actually be paid out and from a financial standpoint what needs to be accrued based on the liabilities created by these programs. That is something that we've done uh, for uh, a whole host of companies in the handheld device, in the software space, in the pharma space, uh, in, the, uh, in the semiconductor space. So we've done that across multiple verticals. And quite interestingly... Um, it's actually a really great reverse tool for the distributors themselves. If you think about distribution and the typical low margins that they operate on, the rebates are actually a really important part of, uh, of their margins and a really important part of how they optimize their, uh, their capital. And uh, being able to see that you are towards the end of a quarter and you need to uh, just buy an extra $50,000 to hit the next tier of a rebate that might double your margin for the quarter in terms of the payout uh, of rebates from the manufacturers is actually critical information for uh, distributors. And we, we are engaged right now with several distributors to actually help them calculate what they should be collecting on rebates. Also, the other side. So since you bring up rebates, that's such a fascinating lead-in into an interesting topic, and that is, as a pricing person, I like to sit back and imagine wild new ways to price. I might do different price segmentation, and rebates is a great way to do price segmentation. I might do different incentive plans for my channels. There's all these things I want to do, and yet no matter what I want to do, the company has to be able to implement it somehow. And it feels like that's a really big advantage slash disadvantage to using some type of revenue management system. Meaning I've now got a system in place. If it's capable, awesome. And if it's not capable, it's probably really hard. That is true. Uh, and uh, we have seen this happen repeatedly where both pricing uh, managers and channel managers initiate programs uh, with all the intent of having either you know, you know, some, some growth goal or, or a revenue improvement goal or a margin improvement goal. And um, they get blocked internally by their own tools, systems, and uh, primarily, by the way, by finance objecting. And the main two reasons that finance objects is they hate the uncertainty that is created by these programs to what is revenue that they can recognize. So it's already a level of complexity that they just don't need because they're working hard enough to make sure that they can rec they're recognizing revenue correctly. And now you're throwing another you know problem for them to face. Uh, so there's a lot of concern about can I can I really forecast and understand what I need to accrue 
Do I uh, have real-time linkage between my financial systems and whatever is managing this program, this rebate tool, uh, to know that, hey, the rebate program is over. We didn't utilize all of the funds that were you know, set aside for it. We can now release them back into our operating cash. Um, it's been a huge challenge for some finance departments to do that well. And, um, and last but not least, they don't trust the systems to actually calculate correctly. And frankly, they're right, because in many, many cases, these systems are a combination uh, you know, of um, something that was captured in a database, something that was, is calculated in an access um, spreadsheet or an Excel spreadsheet, um, you know, some vague things that have been uh, you know, captured in a CRM system, uh, and they are right to not trust this because um, when you do the audits, you find very typically that there have been overpayments that you didn't accrue enough liability or sometimes you accrue too much, and which is not good either because that means you didn't recognize revenue that you could. And so it really requires enterprise-grade solutions that will be completely synced into whatever is connected to your channels, completely synced to your uh, other pricing and quoting decision tools, completely synced to your uh, back-end ERP systems. And there are not really that many um, solutions out there today that do that at the level I've just described. Model N is one of those companies that does provide that. And as I said, we, we manage um, uh, rebates for many of the top farmers worldwide, many of the high-tech companies worldwide. We handle the payouts of billions of dollars of rebates every year. So it seems to me that at, if I'm using Model N or no matter what systems I have in place, as a pricing person, as a product person, when I'm trying to create new incentives, programs, pricing strategies, I have to understand whatever underlying systems we have, or I have to say, gee, when we change this, it's going to make so much money, it's worth us changing these underlying systems. Uh, the answer to both is yes. Uh, what we try and do is we try and simplify uh, that. And what that means is that we can, we can look at uh, rebating as an overarching program that is designed to achieve something in a certain territory, and then you know, it comes from a, an overall design. What we do is we allow the, the pricing manager or the rebate manager to create that rebate program, define the terms, uh, what are the conditions that qualify for paying out, then handle the recruitment of the channels to sign up for the program. And as the data comes into the system, the point of sale data comes into the system, we do all the calculations and show the output and approve the payouts. That's one approach to it. Another approach, which um, a few companies are taking now, is actually making rebates even more accessible down to specific deal negotiations, where uh, in the quoting process, from within a quote interface, the sales or sales operations people can initiate the creation of a rebate program. And the reason that is a great way of doing it is it allows these companies to use the rebate as a way of avoiding the upfront discounts, because if you gave the upfront discounts, uh, you're now at the mercy of whether or not the customer is going to really fulfill the volume commitment they made. And as we all know, customers um, will promise the moon, but they'll only buy what they really need. So rebate is a great way of avoiding that and giving them the discount they want, but against actual performance. And the really important part of it being part of the deal negotiation process and visible inside the quote process is the fact that I can now see the real impact on my net price. Because very often you have companies negotiating a deal and giving a discount on a deal and they see the the margin or what they think the margin is but then this deal also is eligible for a rebate that will be paid out next quarter 
And very typically, they don't actually see that. They may see that in historical analysis if they bring out all the data from ERP and all the data out from from whatever tools they're using into a into a central warehouse and do analysis and do the waterfall, and they'll see, oh, oh, we actually paid out rebates over here, and our, our real margin on this deal was X. It's not Y. What we thought when we gave the approval for the discount. So being able to see the rebate impact on the true net price of the deal and the margin of the deal at the time you're negotiating it is actually very powerful. Well, I love that because as you pointed out, maybe maybe it slipped by quickly, but we all know customers lie to us. They all make commitments that say, hey, I'm going to buy a million units and then they buy 100,000 for whatever reason. But mm-hmm. they wanted that discount and, and rebates is a great way to give them the discounts they've earned as opposed to what they negotiated for up front. So love love that one. Now, now we've been talking so far about stuff I find fascinating, which is how do you do new things so that we can capture more of the revenue for ourselves? But it, it seems to me that one of Model N's biggest claims to fame is the ability to just do the nuts and bolts really, really well. Uh, and, and we often see when we walk into companies and we talk to them, that they're leaving money on the table in so many different places. Uh, can you talk to me about a couple places where you see companies leave money on the table that they could go pick up pretty easily with a, with a more rigid system? I think it ties to one of the things I call about the, the fallacy of price execution. Um, a lot of companies, when they look at pricing and they say, I want to improve my price, and, and whether it's I'm trying to improve my top line or my, my margin or both, um, there is a belief that I just need to optimize my pricing and things will be great. And the underlying belief there is that all you need to do is segment the market, find out the willingness to pay, figure out the value drivers and differentiation, and then allow you to take a segment and uplift your price in a certain place and things will be fantastic. Before you continue, Hanan, i got to say that everything you just said is really, really hard. I completely agree. Um, but it, it, the, the real nice compelling thing about this is that doing that is upfront analytical work based on data that is centralized in one place. And it feels like it's a very comforting idea that I'm basically doing some levers, doing some you know tweaking, and downstream everything will just follow through and deliver the result that I want. And the underlying, for that to happen, there's an underlying belief that everything that's happening downstream is working great. In other words, that if I say that this is my price strategy, that is what is going to get executed when we're negotiating a contract or a quote. And I have seen absolutely no evidence to suggest that is the case in any company that I've ever met. And so the, the thing is, and I'm just going to give a few examples that will tie to those low-hanging fruits areas that, that, I, that I mentioned. And the reason why I think the price execution is still an area that really needs fixing in, in the large enterprise space. Um, when we go and negotiate a contract, and let's say that the contract is with an end customer, but there is a value chain between us of distribution or resellers or whatever it might be uh, that are servicing this, uh, this end customer, um, seven times out of ten, I have seen companies allow distribution and allow uh, resellers and wholesalers to come in and start negotiating a deal all over again, even though a contracted price for this product has already been negotiated, agreed upon, and signed off with an end customer. Essentially negating the whole price negotiation process that occurred and whatever analytics that preceded it and starting it from fresh 
just because there is no linkage between the quoting process or contract process that's being negotiated with a distribu distributor or a reseller versus the other contract that was created separately with that end customer. That disconnect of end, cu end customer pricing versus the value chain that's negotiating on deals that are servicing that end customer is causing companies to leave a huge amount of money on the table. It's got to be nine times out of ten the new price comes in lower than the, the previously contracted exactly. price. Exactly. And, and of course, distribution will claim that they are aggregating buying power and therefore they should get an overall um, you know, uh, better price. But in reality, they're fulfilling existing demand most of the time. And there's no reason for that price erosion to happen. But if you don't have the right controls in place and you don't have the right linkage between these elements, it's almost unavoidable. So that's one area where... You know, you can have the best figured out price book with the ultimate segmentation and the best pricing analytics, and it all goes down the drain. It, it just never got followed through on. I have to say, I've seen that exact situation happen in companies I've worked with where we would renegotiate contracts with customers, even though we had an existing contract. And it's just because people weren't aware of what's going on. The people who were doing the execution, the negotiation, weren't aware of what we already had in place and what they could stick with. Exactly. And another area that I, I typically see is um, the uh, the irrational scatter chart of discounting. And, you know, companies get very defensive about this. They, they go and say, well, listen, this is a big customer. It's, you know, a very large company in Cupertino, and we have to give them this price, and they're strategic, etc. And they'll go and try and define and defend every one of these discounts you look at in a scatter chart of uh, of deals. The reality is, of course, that, 80% of your revenue is coming from the top 20% of your customers. And it is true. With, with some of the companies, it's just pretty hard to negotiate a price. Sometimes prices are basically dictated. And I, I agree that sometimes they just can't do a lot about that. But there is that very long tail of 80% of your customers that are driving maybe only 20 or 30% of your revenue. And those are kind of interesting because each one of them has less negotiating power each one of them is clearly not strategic to your business. But when you look at the scatter chart of the deals at that level, they look the same. They, they still, even though they're buying very low volumes, very low value, they're still getting sometimes the same discounts as some massive customers. And that is indefensible. You can't really justify that. And um, I have seen companies who have taken, whether it's a rebate strategy or a, pro, or a step pricing strategy, a different approach to those low-performing customers that says, you know what? You want this discount, in principle, I'm willing to give it to you, but you're going to have to earn it out against your actual volume performance. And if you didn't reach that volume, you won't get that price. And invariably, those customers never reach those volume you know, performances, and they don't get those lower prices. And companies that have done this in a systematic way have driven 5 to 10% improvement on those low-performing customers. Now, it might only be 5% or 10% against a lower portion of your total revenue. It might only be 20% of your revenue or 30% of your revenue. But that could be 1.5% to 3% of total company revenue that has now increased simply because you treated those customers differently with your price strategy. And it goes back to the ability to execute that strategy. Because if you don't have the right tools to negotiate that deal and tie that to how your ERP is processing those deals then, again, it remains a great strategy and a great idea, but it doesn't get executed. Companies who have gone down that way have seen a phenomenal return on that investment.
Well, and the thing I love about it is, let's, let's call it 2% for the sake of argument. I'm going to increase my overall company revenues 2%. I didn't affect the costs at all. Exactly. That's pure profit. Whatever that was, was pure profit. Exactly. And again, the reality is people are sometimes concerned about the competitive angle. But um, if you have a customer that's spending, let's say, really low-performing customers, spending $20,000 a year from you, with you, and uh, now the implication of not giving them the extra 10% discount means that they're going to spend $22,000 a year with you, the likelihood of them leaving over that is actually extremely low unless your product is so commoditized and their margins are so thin that it really matters. But most of the time, those small changes on such small volumes rarely actually cost you business. It really is a 100% profit contribution. And it's not only that, it's also the next piece of business you get in, are you going to take it at 20K or are you going to take it at 22K? Exactly. And so it isn't always raising prices on customers, which sometimes I like, sometimes I don't like, but it is getting the company to function without giving away money. Mm -hmm. And I think people have an aversion to the concept of raising prices, and so I normally just call that you're not discounting as quickly and you're discounting in context of what they're actually buying rather than promised volumes. Yep, exactly. I'll tell you what, Hanan, this has been fascinating. I've, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, and thank you so much for your time today. If anyone wants to contact you, how do they do that? Simplest way is email. I'm, I'm uh, pretty responsive. So it's uh, C as in Charlie, Greenberg at modelN.com. Um, no hyphens or anything special. So C Greenberg at modelN.com. And uh, I really enjoyed this chat as well. It's, uh, the pleasure was all mine. Oh, thanks. And to our listeners, we hope you got value out of our podcast today. We'd love to hear from you. Praise, suggestions for improvement, questions you'd like us to address, or, or even just random thoughts, they're all welcome. Please send your comments to experts at pragmaticmarketing.com. And don't forget to join us for the next episode of Pragmatic Live.